0: Welcome to A Year in the Life of a Seahorse. Over the course of this series, we'll be speaking with Karen, a Wisconsin woman who discovered she inherited the CDH1 gene mutation, which led her to make some life-changing decisions in regard to her health and body. Spending a little over a year with Karen between September 2020 and November 2021, we learned about this gene mutation, its impact on stomach and breast cancer, the lifestyle changes associated with it, and how the seahorse is the unofficial mascot for people who have had a total gastrectomy, as seahorses don't have stomachs themselves. In our first episode, Karen spoke with us in late September 2020 about how she found out she had the CDH1G mutation, the tough choices she had in front of her, and ultimately, the road she decided to go down. So to start off, could you introduce yourself to the audience and you know tell a little bit about yourself?
1: So my name is Karen. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and I am currently 37, and I live in a suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I have lived in uh, Wisconsin most of my life. I, uh, my parents moved from Chicago in August of 1984, um, so essentially I have been here for 36 years of my life.
0: Thanks for that, Karen. And in advance, thank you so much for telling your story here. Um, So we're here to talk about the CDH1 gene mutation that you recently found out that you have. At a high level, could you describe this gene mutation and what it all entails?
1: So a CDH1 gene mutation is essentially a mutation in one of our chromosomes where stomach cancer and breast cancer are very high risk. Um, There is a good chance that Um, you'll either have one or both or possibly none um, of those cancers, but the risk chance is actually higher than not getting anything. It's an extremely rare uh, mutation to have. uh, Currently, there might be about 500 different variations known worldwide. Um, It's in relation to hereditary diffuse gastric cancer. Um, It very hard to find because it actually develops within the stomach lining so if you have an endoscopy that goes into your throat down into your stomach the camera may see your stomach tissue look normal but there are cancer cells potentially underneath that normal tissue and um, you have to have a series of multiple biopsies done uh, currently, there's two different versions of it. There's the Cambridge model, which I believe takes about 30 um, stomach samples. And then there's, uh, as part of the NIH research study, they are doing about 88 stomach biopsies at this point to see if they can find the cancer cells, as it is extremely hard to find. With CDH1 gene mutation, there is not just the stomach side of it, but there is the breast cancer. Specifically, it is lobular breast cancer. And with that, um, lobular breast cancer is usually harder to find than ductal carcinoma. So the recommendation for those who have the CDH1 gene mutation with a family history of breast cancer and just in general is to have surveillance if you don't want to have a bilateral mastectomy. So it's recommended to have a mammogram completed and then six months later have an MRI and then six months later have another mammogram And then another MRI six months later. So it's kind of recommended to have intervals every six months of some type of imaging just because lobular breast cancer is so hard to detect.
0: Wow, really interesting. So how did you first find out that you had this gene mutation?
1: I've only known not even quite a year. I'm almost at a year mark. Um, My aunt Carol, who was living in Texas at the time, she had been battling stage four breast cancer for about five years uh, she had previously been diagnosed with breast cancer in her 40s and then had a recurrence in her 50s, uh, not knowing that she had the mutation. Doctors for years were trying to get her to uh, have genetic testing completed, and finally she said, sure. Uh, you know, she knows that there was a lot of family cancer on her parents' side, uh, my grandparents' side. And I I will note, I had tried getting genetic testing years prior to this because I suspected there was something because there was so much cancer on my dad's side of the family. Uh, So my aunt, you know, she went and had the testing done and she was told, you have what is called a CDH1 gene mutation, which made sense considering that CDH1 gene mutation primarily affects uh, stomach and breast uh, cancers. There's a long line History of that type of cancer in my family. I mean, essentially, uh, my aunt had told me, going back at least to my great grandmother, uh, that there was esophageal and colon cancers. Uh, that was with uh, my great grandmother, my grandfather, one of my uncles. What, another uncle had uh, stomach cancer and had a partial stomach removal. But all of those who were diagnosed with what was known as the esophageal and colon cancers, they died fairly early. Um, So with me being a life insurance underwriter, I'm very analytical and very inquisitive. So as soon as she told me what it was, I looked it up online. I'm going to have to say at this point, I have probably done multiple days worth of hours of research on it, even before I, I went and had my own genetic testing completed, I had done several hours uh, worth of investigating into what it meant. Um, it essentially means that I have an extremely high risk chance of developing gastric cancer. Uh, some studies have shown that possibly there's an eighty percent chance of having stomach cancer, uh, possibly sixty percent chance of lobular breast cancer. It made it made sense again, because like I said, there was so much cancer in my family. And uh, my dad, he, he died of cancer as well. He never had a primary diagnosed, but he had metastases to his brain and to his bones, essentially. The day that I went in for my genetic testing, I decided to look up uh, this hereditary diffuse gastric cancer information, because that's essentially the type of cancer associated with CDH1, G mutation. And I just wanted to know where it typically metastasized too, and I will admit I cried when I saw that, you know, it can go to brain and also to, like, the nervous system as well as to the bone, and I knew most likely I was going to be diagnosed uh, with the CDH1 mutation as well. Uh, The one thing also weeks prior to even finding that out I saw the one characteristic that I have that is associated with the mutation is having a cleft lip. I'm the only one in my family with a cleft lip. I remember first reading that and swearing. (laughs) Um, Because I had always thought that this was because my mom smoked. She was older. I didn't even think it was part of any type of genetic issue of this type of nature. I told that to my husband and he, he's a very optimistic individual, very positive thinking. He, he said, well, just because of that, that's not a reason. You don't, you are probably not going to test positive for this. So fa, and that, I had my testing done, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, uh, 2019. And in the middle of December, I got a call from the genetic counselor. Uh, my daughter was actually home at the time. She was sick. And I was upstairs working and I got the call. And I just remember, you know, hearing her say, you did test positive. Your variation is the exact same as your aunt's. Um, we do recommend that you have a total stomach removal or gastrectomy. And I tried not to cry on the phone with her, even though I knew the, the, that was coming Uh, Even before she called, like I said, I I suspected I was going to be told I was positive. But when I hung up, I cried really hard. Um, And that that was a really difficult moment for me, mostly because I don't want my kids to be affected by this. Sorry, I'm cheering up. Because they have a 50% chance of inheriting this. And I know it's not my fault that they have this because I didn't know. I just don't want them to have to go down the same road that I'm about to go down. And uh, the way I'm looking at it is that I have the opportunity to do something that my ancestors never had a chance to do.
0: Wow, this is some pretty heavy stuff here, Karen. We really appreciate you sharing this and just being open about all your feelings that took place when you first were diagnosed. And for the audience, just to give you a little context, Uh, when someone gets a total gastrectomy after the stomach is removed to keep the digestive system, you know, intact, what happens is that the small intestine is stretched out and it's actually uh, connected to um the esophagus where the junction was where the esophagus originally met up with the stomach. So it's almost just like one long tube from the esophagus down into your intestines. And that's how the digestive system now is for someone who had a total gastrectomy. This means that there's no storage of food in the stomach and also no stomach acids to help break down food. So um, this certainly adds to the challenges of eating and, and digestion and nutrition for those who have had uh, a TG, a total gastrectomy. So Karen, um, after you got your positive results for the CDH1 gene mutation, what were your next steps?
1: After I got my results, I don't remember if it was that same day or if it was the day after. I'm, I'm thinking it was the same day. I figured I need support now. You know, my husband, he just got blown away hearing my results. I have the spousal support, but what about others who are dealing with the same thing I am? So because I know our Facebook world, social media world, is um, a great way to connect with people, I just went to a search option and I wrote CDH1. And I didn't see that many options come up. But there was one group that had about, at the time it had about 1,300 members. So I joined it. It was a CDH1 gene mutation support group, and um, I was accepted right away. I saw all the different questions people had, people talking about how they're going through things, those who had just found out, some who had been going through this for years, um, some who have gone through the breast cancer side of things. So there's a whole gamut of information on there. Uh But while I was on there, because I'm the type of person that I, I know what I need to do. And also because this is such a rare situation, I needed to know where to go for the best care at this point. And locally here in Milwaukee, we don't have anybody. And I, I had research. We have nobody here who specializes in CDH1 gene mutation. Um, I did meet with a, a different uh, genetic physician through the hospital I had my testing through, and he didn't provide me much more information. And there, he didn't have any doctors locally he could refer me to. Uh, he said there was a doctor in Chicago he might be able to uh, get me in touch with. However, uh, because of the CDH1 support group, I found out about the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland that there was actually a specific study being done on individuals who have CDH1 gene mutation um, led by Dr. Jeremy Davis. And when I started hearing that the entire process goes to help, one, research, two, your medical care is paid for, and travel and lodging are also paid for, I immediately contacted NIH, I, I want to say within a week or so after I, I got my results back.
0: And so what happened after you reached out to NIH?
1: I had reached out to um, NIH in December. I, I had heard back from somebody, I feel like it was shortly after that, and um, did a phone interview, discussed things, did a little questionnaire, had to fill out some forms, and I was accepted into the program just based on my positive results. I had gone out there with my husband for the first visit for the initial consultation at the end of January. Essentially, during that visit, had to have blood work done, uh, met with the team, uh, which included the dietitian. A genetic counselor, and then also meeting Dr. Davis as well to discuss any questions, concerns I had. Um, if I'm missing anybody, I apologize. Uh, but I uh, got to meet several different team members while we were out there. Um, got to see what NIH was like, which it's very intimidating because it's a very large facility, a large campus in general. Um, but everybody was super friendly. And I had a good feeling based on my conversation with Dr. Davis that I was probably going to be going down the road of having a total gastroctomy or stomach removal, just based on my family history and discussion.
0: Yeah. So talk more about uh, your time out at N.A.H. and the conversations that you had with Dr. Davis and his team. we would love to hear more about that.
1: So when I had met with the team out there, again, I, I had to do some, you know, the, my blood work, which came back with all my cancer, um, Labs coming back perfectly fine. But when I talked with Dr. Davis, I did bring up my family history about all the esophageal cancer because it seemed very unusual, um, all this esophageal. Um, I had known that several members of the family have um, a history of drinking large amounts of alcohol, which I know could possibly be an effect of it. Um, But when my aunt told me that my great-grandmother never drank or barely drank, it didn't make any sense. Um, So I asked him for his opinion, especially knowing that we have this genetic mutation. And he couldn't say for certain, but based on the genetic mutation and our family history, he believes that most likely they probably did have hereditary diffuse gastric cancer that most likely started at the esophageal stomach junction. So hearing that kind of was a, a punch in the stomach per se, <laughs> I didn't expect to hear that it was a good chance that all these individuals had the cancer that I'm trying to fight at this point.
0: Now, the second time you went out to NIH was for some more extensive testing. What was that like, and how was your frame of mind as you continued to consider getting your stomach removed?
1: Before my testing, I actually came to the conclusion that I was most likely going to have a total gastrectomy. Uh, The reason for that actually goes Back to early February. So Becky on the NIH team, uh, she works with Dr. Davis's team. Uh, she had reached out to me and said, have you made any decision about if you're leaning toward it? You know, having stomach removal or not? And at that time, I was still wishy-washy because it's a huge decision. I mean, who wants to lose their stomach? And I'm a person of faith, so I prayed about it in my car while driving to work. And, um, I felt compelled to understand that this was my journey, that I was supposed to get this done. And it, 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 hurt to understand that, yes, this was the route I was supposed to go. I can't describe why or how I came to that decision. Cause I know not everybody has a faith in that aspect, but I know going into my endoscopy I I was already going to have the stomach removal. So no matter what the results came back with. And, um, so I had my endoscopy and a colonoscopy completed because again, the colon cancer side of it. So my colonoscopy came back with a seven millimeter polyp. Um, it's the type of polyp that actually should have follow up every three to five years with a repeat colonoscopy. So I'll be doing that in another three years. And then, um, with my endoscopy, one of my samples actually did come back with a suspected precancer signet cell carcinoma in situ. So, knowing that signet cell carcinoma is the specific type of cells associated with this hereditary uh, diffuse gastric cancer, getting that, knowing my family history, and knowing that I feel that my life path is supposed to go this route is why I came to the decision that I was, I'm was i going to be going through the surgery.
0: So were there any other reasons that made you decide to get a total gastrectomy?
1: For years, actually, I had prayed in trying to understand the family history aspect because most of the individuals on my dad's side of the family, and even my mom's side, nobody really lives past the age of 70. Being 37, I don't want to think that I only have 33 or less years left on this planet you know, I, I, I had prayed and asked for some direction to figure out how do I live past the age of 70. So I feel that that was part of the decision with this as well. Just because those that seem to be affected by the CDH1 gene mutation, the oldest age seems to be 67 at this point, who was my dad. Um, everybody else was either in their upper 40s or lower 60s when they passed from it. But the big part is that I want to be around for my kids. I want to be around for the, for all their big events. You know, if they decide they want to start having families, I want to be around because I love those little guys. I know they're not going to be little forever, but I just want to be around longer than my parents were for me. Both my parents were 67 when they passed, and they never got to see my kids grow up. They didn't even get to see or meet my kids at all. And I want to be able to have that opportunity if my children decide to... Again, have their own
0: families. Your surgery day is coming up pretty soon. How are you feeling, Karen?
1: Uh my actual surgery is literally a week from today. So seven days. Um I had scheduled the surgery out originally 90 days out. At the time it felt like oh man, that's so far out there. But considering it's the year twenty twenty. <laughs> Life has been crazy. Life has been hectic. Everything's just been crazy this year. But time has flown by. Uh, It really has. And uh, here we are. (laughs) And um, a month ago, I started really struggling. Um, Started getting more anxious, getting a little bit more depressed. uh, Started to worry a lot more. I was starting to cry a little bit more. I even asked my doctor to increase my depression medication because I was starting to not feel like me. And um, I reached out back to NIH and said, hey, I I hear you guys have counseling services. So I've been working with a counselor uh, through NIH for the last month, once a week, to try to work through thoughts and feelings and um, just the life stress to better understand and get me in a good place for surgery. I will admit today, I really struggled. I've been teary-eyed off and on, and I'm sure as the surgery date gets closer, I will definitely be more teary-eyed. Um, I do fly out to Maryland on Thursday and then I start my pre-op testing on Friday. So my emotions are very raw and um it hurts it hurts I, I, I tear up when I think about not being around my kids during this. And I've been holding them a little bit tighter at night when I say goodnight to
0: them. Tell us what's been going on the past couple of months as you've been preparing for your TG or your total gastrectomy.
1: Yeah. So knowing that when I had made the appointment 90 days ago, I knew that I needed to try to fit in as much as I could, uh, before the surgery, I did actually attempt to work out <laughs> for a while. Uh, cause I know that, uh Loss of muscle is a huge thing that can possibly occur from having your stomach removed because your body might start eating out your muscles because it needs the protein to have energy. So I started trying to work out. I think I did that for about a month, month and a half, uh, where I started trying to do weights because I wanted to try to build up muscles um, because I had heard from others that it's good to have uh, good upper body strength and leg strength because... When you don't have access to your abdominal muscles to help stand and move around, Uh, you need all your other muscles to help with that. Also try to take care of my family. Uh, We actually did take a couple family trips this summer just to be able to get some family time in. We went camping, so we just tried to enjoy the outdoors and let the kids learn about nature and to let them have those experiences. I've also refound myself a little bit. I actually started doing uh, woodwork, where I've actually been making furniture and making other projects um, just to help keep my mind off of the stress that I've been going through with this and on top of my regular work schedule. So uh, doing woodworking has definitely been helpful and very therapeutic. <laughs> but I've also been eating a lot Of the good stuff I love eating. So unfortunately I've been eating out a lot more. (laughs) Uh, I've been drinking a little bit more than I usually do just because I know that after the surgery I'm not gonna be able to eat or drink that type of stuff possibly for a long time or you know maybe I might not be able to eat some of it ever again. Um, I don't know what my future holds post gastrectomy here So I could probably easily say on top of my quarantine 15 from the 2020 uh, first quarantine session in March, I gained 15 pounds around that time. And I probably gained about another 15 or 20 pounds in the last month uh, just because of how much I've been eating. And it's so good. I've been wearing leggings, a lot of leggings. (laughs) Um, But I know I haven't weighed myself on a scale in over a month. And I used to be someone who would weigh up every few days. I'm at a point where I don't care because I know after my stomach procedure, I'm going to be losing weight. And that's just a fact because most people, if not everybody, essentially loses a good portion of their weight. So I'm enjoying life to the fullest, eating-wise, at the moment.
0: So so what do you anticipate life being like? A day, a week, a month, a year after having your stomach removed?
1: Life after... Uh, total gastrectomy. I honestly I. no one knows what their exact journey is going to be like. Each person is different. I'm very much trying to be optimistic that my recovery will be quick. I'm hoping for no complications. But at the same time, I know it may take up to a year for everything to get back to a kind of a baseline or a, I guess you could say, some type of new normal. And uh, that's the thing that I, when I've been working with my counselor, that's the part that I bring up often as a concern is that, you know, going into the surgery, I can prepare myself a lot. But as for what life is going to be like after, I have no idea. I don't know what my pain level is going to be like. I don't know how my body is going to react to the new GI tract that's being created with the esophagus and small intestine combined. I don't know what my lower GI tract is going to be like. I've been having um, irritable bowel syndrome type symptoms for several months lately. I don't know if that's going to continue or if it's going to get better. And um, I know there might be a little TMI, but... um, that that's the thing. And I will admit, uh, <laughs> I've told my husband this and it is the funny thing. It's like best word advice from everybody who gets out of the surgery. Uh, don't trust a fart because apparently you could have an accident. <laughs> um, for me, it's just a lot of unknowns. I really don't know how to answer how I think I'm going to be. I'm, I'm hoping to be optimistic that things will be a lot better than maybe my subconscious thinks it'll be. I am afraid that I might not be able to eat some of the foods that I enjoy currently, but I'm hoping at the same time my body will allow me to get back to that spot.
0: How are people reacting to the news that you're getting your stomach removed? It's probably made for some pretty interesting conversations.
1: In terms of how people have been reacting to this, of course, uh, my husband has been extremely supportive um, from the get-go it's he's even said it i've even said it that it doesn't feel real for him he had noted before that it doesn't seem like it's real until we actually get there and the surgery is done i'm i'm actually in the same place like i don't feel like this whole thing is actually real and i don't think i'm gonna feel that it's real until i wake up from the actual procedure My kids, for the last month, we have been trying to tell them that when mom comes home from the hospital, they need to be careful because mommy has a sick stomach that needs to be taken out. My six-year-old, my daughter, is a lot more understanding than my four-year-old son at this point. My daughter, as we're getting closer to me leaving, um, she's really kind of sad that I have to go through this. Uh, She's even made me little cards with flowers saying that it's my, you know, healing flower and uh that she wants me to get better she loves me and he loves my my son loves me too but he's also the rambunctious one we're gonna have to worry about (laughs) jumping on me um so that's why we've been trying to train them ahead of time to be careful with mom um so she definitely has more of a grasp on it than my son does at this point
0: Sticking with your husband and, and your kids, uh, how else is this situation affecting them?
1: I think the effects that this is going to have on my immediate family is that I'm going to be relying on my husband to help me a lot more. Um, and I, It's going to be asking him a lot because he's going to need to help uh, with the kids because I'm not necessarily going to be able to. We also have two dogs, so he's going to need to be a huge caretaker for both of them as well um my kids again they have to learn that they can't wrestle with mommy like they used to for play time but they're also going to need to try to help me as well and i believe my husband is going to help them to understand what type of duties they can do to help me um so in general this is going to affect us at least for a few weeks to a couple months um at the beginning but again, I'm trying to be hopeful that maybe within the first month, I'll be a little bit more flexible to be able to help around the house. But I know that this is just going to affect everybody, even eating wise. I'm not going to be able to eat the same things that my entire family is eating as much as I might want to. Or maybe I won't want to. Um, my husband's also been given the advice of now make sure she eats because she's going to forget um, cause I'm supposed to eat every two hours, either a small meal or a snack or something. Um, so my, I gotta be accountable, um, along with my husband helping me be accountable and then just for us all to just try to adapt to mommy with this new lifestyle. So
0: you touched a little on this before, but what's it like knowing that your kids could potentially inherit this gene mutation?
1: Knowing that my kids might Inherit this really hurts um there's a fifty fifty chance that they're gonna have it, and I pray that neither of them do. um That would be the best thing in the world. um but being that they're so young, my husband and I are like, we just need to know like do they have it? But everybody we have talked to in the medical profession has said, no, it's recommended you should wait. Um, Either let it be more on their decision. Uh, There isn't any early, like super early onset of this type of cancer in my family. So the idea of having that information now isn't going to do anything because nothing's going to be done at this point. So we're hoping that through education and showing them what mom has gone through and to let them know the serious nature of this genetic mutation, that when they are either in their mid to late teens or early adulthood, we definitely want them to get tested, but we have to wait until then, um, just because we want them to have a comprehension of everything. We want them to feel comfortable about this, especially since this is such a new thing within my, my side of the family, that no one's really gone through this before. So I'm kind of the, I guess you could say the explorer, the first going head into this. And um, I, I hope that what I go through, they don't have to go through. And with this medical research study I'm in, I'm hoping that with my help and all the other hundreds that are part of it, I am hoping that we will make an impact somehow that if either of my kids do have this, that they don't have to go through a gastrectomy to help save themselves.
0: If, if you can, please talk more about this research study you're a part of and the goals that it's trying to achieve.
1: Overall, with everything that I'm going through and so many hundreds of other individuals across the country um, being part of this research study, I know I'm one to feel this way, but I'm really hoping that whatever is found through the study with the, I believe they were looking at a thousand participants is that I'm hoping that any evidence or any information that is found through the study can be used to help future generations. I mean, this, this gene mutation was only discovered a little more than 20 years ago in New Zealand. Not a ton is known about it really at this point. Like what sets off the, the signet cells to, become huge amounts of cancer in a stomach. Like, they're trying to figure out how to keep those cells shut off from doing that. And right now, they don't know. And I'm really hoping that what I am helping contribute will help future generations to have stomachs not need to be taken out. But I'm also trying to be an advocate along the way for those who have this genetic mutation because... It is such a rare thing, and I believe awareness needs to be known about it.
0: So what kind of questions do you receive from people uh when they learn about your situation here?
1: Oh, I love getting questions. Um I I actually encourage people to ask questions about what life is what's life gonna be like after you have your stomach removed and really you can have your stomach removed and still live and Yep, you can definitely live without your stomach because essentially your stomach is just a holding tank that breaks food down. That's its biggest purpose. And I just tell them, yep, you could still eat. It's just that your mouth now becomes your new stomach. You have to chew and chew and chew, uh, which I have tried practicing and I don't do a very good job on. So we'll see what life is like actually after surgery um, for that process. But, you know, I try to explain that, yeah, it's just a whole new way of life. It's just slowing down and smaller meals and I have to eat protein with every meal and snack and I have to take vitamins now for the rest of my life or will have to. And um just to let them know that it's not going to be a cakewalk, it's going to be a huge challenge This is going to affect me for the rest of my life. And anybody who doesn't think it's going to affect me for the rest of their life, they need to do thorough research on this or just ask more questions. Again, I love answering questions because I feel like I'm a wealth of knowledge when it comes to um, the CDH1 gene mutation. And I'm not going to say I'm an expert on the TG, uh, the total gastrectomy portion of it, because I haven't gotten there yet. But I have a good sense as to what will come from that. Uh, i've 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 been asked before if I can just get a stomach transplant which at this point that it's not an option i I also would not want to be on anti rejection medications for the rest of my life um like other organ transplants are done with um been asked uh uh how much weight loss are you gonna be looking at? And currently with my current body mass index, uh, I'm going to guess, uh, at least based off of the information I've seen from the nutritionist, I could possibly lose between 30 to 40% of my body weight. I am hoping not the 40% because then I will be way too skinny and I don't want to be that skinny. I, and I just let everybody know it's a very complicated situation. The idea of I'm, I'm going to lose a lot of weight is a probability I don't know if I, if my body is going to allow me to regain any of it, maybe at some point, but we'll see.
0: All right. Two-part question here to finish. What would you say to someone who just found out that they have the CDH1 mutation? And what would you say to them if they decide to get a total gastrectomy?
1: What would I say to someone who just found out that they were diagnosed with CDH1 gene mutation? Um... Knowledge is power. Knowing the ins and outs of everything associated with it, I feel, is definitely a big thing. I know everybody says, first off, just breathe. (laughs) A lot of people say that. I totally get that mentality, but it's really hard because I know with me I was in shock. I didn't know how to process it. I was confused. Um, which is why I also wanted to do a bunch of research in relation to it. So I think make sure you find your support system, know who your support system is. Some people aren't going to react the way you want them to react. Just don't give up hope for yourself. And you have to think that this is about you, that you are focusing on nobody else. And you have to figure out the reason why you're doing it. Again, for me, it's because I want to be here. I want to be with my kids. I want to be a good role model for others, and I want to be able to help others. That those are the big things for me at this point as to why I want to do this. And um, for someone who wants is is going into the idea of a total gastrectomy, that might be a better question for after. Um, just because right now I'm in the state of. My nerves are a wreck. I'm scared. Um, I'm scared of what the future is going to look like because I can't predict exactly what my particular future is going to be. And that's the part that I have a problem with because I like to be in control of things. And I'm not in control of this. So I have to breathe. Um, Definitely meditate. Try to relax. Just try try to breathe at some point. But do it in your own time. Again, find those resources. Find somebody to talk to, whether it's a counselor who specializes in it, um, like a mental counselor, not necessarily a genetic counselor, but somebody who has helped others go through the situation. I feel that's a good starting point, too. But again, knowledge is power, and I think as long as you have that in your bucket— you take your time to understand what you're going through and dealing with and that you find the right doctor who's going to take care of you, that will be the part that ultimately, I think, will help bring comfort to you.
0: I actually have one more question for you, Karen. Uh, Imagine it's the morning of October 5th, 2020, the day of your total gastrectomy. What's going through your head?
1: Oh, I hope there's morphine involved. <laughs> so I don't have to think about it. Um the morning of October fifth, knowing that my surgery is tentatively scheduled for noon that morning, afternoon. Um I will probably be in tears at some point. I'm getting teary now. That I hope everything's gonna be okay. And I really hope everything's going to be okay after.
0: Thank you, Karen, for sharing your story. And we'll follow up with you after your procedure. All the best. Thank you for listening to A Year in the Life of a Seahorse. Please check out the other episodes to get the full story of Karen's CDH1 gene mutation journey. If you have any concerns about a family history of stomach, breast, or any other kind of cancer please consider getting genetic testing to empower yourself with knowledge and help inform you on any major life decisions you need to make for yourself. For more information on stomach cancer, please visit No Stomach for Cancer's website at nostomachforcancer.org. That's nostomachforcancer, all one word, dot org. By listening to this podcast, You agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to, patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having.